Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar journey where we watch everything Pixar has ever made and we talk about what it means to us. We are live from New York. Yeah, here I Mark am. Mark Young, and in the room with me right now is Danny Vincent. Hi, I'm here. Danny, how are you enjoying New York so far? Uh, it's going pretty good. You know, I saw a couple Broadway shows. I did the Barbenheimer we've been talking about for months here on the show. Yeah, and that went well. Uh, yeah, uh, alright, so, so we, do we want me to drop my quick Barbie takes? Should we say what this episode's about first? We should say what this episode is about <laughs> first. We're gonna, we're gonna cover a lot of stuff in this episode, but we are here for Pixar shorts, so we are gonna talk in this episode about Air Mater, Time Travel Mater, and Partysaurus Rex. So we're finishing the Cars tunes and the Toy Story tunes. Well, we're finishing Mater's Tall Tales. Is that really the end of the Cars? It's not the... Not the um, Toy Story tunes? Tunes, yes. The There's it. a couple um, TV specials we'll cover, but short films, we are done with them now. That are playing before movies, you mean? No, like, there are no other short films for two. I mean, I guess there's the Forky TV show, but it's a TV show to me, in my oh, mind. Oh, well, I'll, well... I guess Cars tunes are kind of TV shows, Is too. Halloween Toy Story, like... It's a like, TV special. They aired it on TV. They didn't put it in front of a movie. But it's, like, 30 minutes or something? Yeah. Same, oh. with, the, same with the Christmas one. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so, yeah. So, we're... This is a big... End of a lot of things episode. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about those, but just like yeah, Danny's in town for Barbenheimer. Yes. And he's been having quite a time. Yes, I, uh, I did Barbenheimer yesterday. After Barbie, I got interviewed by WB Promo Department, where I was very much like, should I go on and be like, hey, check out my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What did, what did Barbie remind you of? Well, my podcast, Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, of course. Uh, oh, you did do the, the smart thing where you didn't tell them you were also there yes. to see Oppenheimer. No, 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 no. So exactly what I did was they asked me, what brings you here? And it was me and um, former guest of the podcast, Carson, or I was also part of this meetup to see Barbenheimer. And, you know, we both did the interview together because we never just wanted to do it alone. I get kind of camera shy. Um, mm. I'm fine. I'm fine. I was very weird. I wasn't expecting to be nervous, but I, I just was. So they're like, what brings you out for Barbie? And it was like, well, we'd be lying to, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I can't say I just naturally come to Barbie at 11 in the morning because I would never normally do that. So, well, I mean, I think you could be excited about the new Greta Gerwig premiere. Well, that that's what, no, see, so Carson pivoted to that. Mm. Um, what we basically answered was is, and if, I'm sure if this gets out, like, you know, if this is released as promo, we will, I will retweet it on my podcast platforms. Yeah, I would be kind of surprised if they used this this part as the promo, but it's cool that you were interviewed. So I was like, well, we are both not from New York, but I'm from Chicago and he's from Ohio. We got a bunch of our friends here. We all decided to meet up for a double feature of another movie that's coming out that I'm sure a lot of other people you've talked to have done. And I'm sure me saying a lot of other people you've talked to have done will also cut it from the episode. But my point Mm -hmm. is, if I'd said Oppenheimer, they would have immediately just thrown out the entire thing because it's like, you can't mention a competitor, right? Yeah, it's always interesting to me to see, like, what were the rules of making this promo, you know? we did have a joke that it would have been hilarious if we had gone for the for the bit if we hadn't had reservations imagine if we had done barbie did the interview did oppenheimer all this is what actually happened but then go back buy a ticket for a barbie show right after oppenheimer and then do the interview again they'd be like didn't we see really like you did. We saw the other movie, and it was just too sad. We had to, <laughs> cheer. we got, we had to get cheered up from Barbie. You, like, again. only show up talking about the other movie <laughs> and never naming Oppenheimer because you think that's how you'll get in the promo. Well, but, but Carson did um, pivot to saying, like, yeah, you know, we're big Greta Gerwig fans. I'm like, yeah. I, it was like, your favorite movie. Because fa- Car- Carson's favorite movie, it's either his favorite or second favorite movie is Lady Bird. 
First might be Matrix Reloaded. I'm unsure. Did anyone dress up for it? In our group, uh, a lot of people wore pink shirts. Carson wore a pink shirt. I didn't dress up for it. And Danny turned down my pink shirt, which yeah. I just happened to have because you said it was too peach. The thing was also, I had a friend of mine who is going to be on this podcast. I actually renegotiated with him to lock him in as a guest for one of our upcoming episodes. Mm. Um, he's going to be on here for Inside Out. But my friend Don, he's a high school friend of mine who lives in New York, and I invited him as my plus one because we were allowed to have plus ones. And I also just, you know, sometimes when you go to these big meetups with 15 people that you've only really talked to a couple of them, it's good to have just someone you can li- like rely back on yeah. to talk to. Also, I'll be real. I'm incredibly picky about who I sit by at movies sometimes. And I won't call out anyone here by name, but there were people in our group who were the type of people who go, or, come on, or, really? And I was like, I don't want to sit right next to someone like that. So I had locked-in seat neighbors for both of these. I'm so anal about this stuff. But Don was locked in because he was a friend of mine. But then my other friend from New York, Dominic, who was the person who organized the A-list seats and was always... Because I he's the person I visited last time I was here, so he knew me already. I was always like, get me the best seat in your row. The thing was, at Oppenheimer, okay, we had got like 35 seats, and then we returned a lot of them because we only had 14 people there, 16 people. I actually don't remember the final Oppenheimer number. That's a ton of people. Yeah, but since the way the AMC Lincoln Square IMAX website was set up on Oppenheimer release date, it was really hard to get all these tickets at once. So our tickets were really spread out. And basically what we landed on was we had a lot in row G, and we were going to maybe all do row G. But then Dominic was like, there's no reason for us to all do row G when we have about six seats in row E that are dead center. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do row E with you, because, like, I think row D would have been too close. I think row E was the edge of being too close, but it was just the right amount of overwhelming. I didn't know that it was that many people. I thought you had, like, six people. Oh, no, 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 no. We had a reservation at our place for 17 people, and then not everyone went to Oppenheimer. Why didn't everyone go to Oppenheimer? Uh, I'm about to say something. Maybe you, that maybe might, you don't want to. I mean, I know. It's, it's a, I think it's you're gonna as soon as I say it, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that, of course that makes sense. Is these were the the two people who did come to Oppenheimer were uh, two of the special someone's who were female who had no interest in seeing Oppenheimer and just was like, oh yeah, we'll do Barbie. Mm. And we also had some people who didn't bar- do Barbie. So and that makes sense too to me. I also the, the Barbie makes sense because to me, 11 a.m. is normally too early for a movie. Do you think that it was like a good day? The Barbenheimer experience was a good like, I thought outing. it was good. I definitely think I did the right way. I think Barbie first is the correct way to do it after doing it. I do not think I would be able to do Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I couldn't do it because I've been working and I just I, I just can't really be a part of this big thing right now. But, like, it was weird to me that people wanted to do Barbie last because I would... And you said this to me last night when you came back is that it's much better to, like, sit with Oppenheimer after a while and you don't want to like ruin that by watching Barbie. Yeah, I have a I I've explained it in a better way to other people, but I feel like it would spoil in a weird way both Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I won't I won't I won't give that out here cuz I know this episode, you know, it's coming out a week after Barbenheimer. So people are these are the last big movies of the summer really. Uh sorry Ninja Turtles. I didn't even know Ninja Turtles was coming out. Oh, it comes so out in like 2 weeks, yeah. I'm excited for its last, it's the actual last like studio movie this summer I'm excited for, but uh, if I had to grade them right now, which I didn't want to, but I have mentally graded Barbie at an 8 out of 10 and Oppenheimer at a 9.5 just because I don't want to give it a 10 on first watch, mm-hmm. but I'm like, yeah, this is a, it was something right at the beginning, I was like, is this really Nolan's before? And about like 45 minutes, I was like, yeah, this probably is. <laughs> yeah. I've heard people say that it's like a movie that they didn't think he was capable of making. It's it's the most interesting thing about Oppenheimer is it is simultaneously incredibly a Nolan movie. Like, you know, the way the music is mixed, the way it's edited, the way it plays with nonlinear. 
I don't even know how to really put it. It simultaneously feels like nothing he's ever done before. I don't be like, because it's based off a real person. That's why it feels different. But it's engaged with such a huge issue Mm -hmm. that, like, is legitimately still, you know, echoing today, like, the creation of the atomic bomb. But also, I put in my letterbox review that it is about the fallacies that we tell ourselves to make us do things that, like, be complicit. And I think that's... You know, obviously, the stuff that Oppenheimer is about, and I'm sure Nolan would say the same thing. He's like, yes, that's something you can... I'm sure he'd be like, that's something you can read in my movie. But it's also, of course, about Oppenheimer and his own thing. And it is. But I think you can also just apply it to yourself and be like, you know, like... There are so many times it's so easy to just be like, well, you know, not not like everyone else is doing, but if I don't do it, someone else will. You know? And that's what I feel like the movie is ultimately about. Is like... Because Oppenheimer, you know, for the first... For a lot of the movie is like, well, no, we gotta do it because if we don't, the Nazis will. If we don't, uh, the other people, like other, other, those get other people to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, but like you're still begging for the fame of being the creator of yeah. the destroyer of worlds. You it's know, it's exciting that the the parts from the trailers that were Matt Damon, which I kind of, were kind of like, this looks like the worst part of this movie is like Matt Damon doing exposition, but then that's actually like the theme of the movie is the pressure of a character like Matt Damon saying the Nazis are what, doing this first or whatever. What I think is really interesting also about Matt Damon is I said that pretty much all the scenes Matt Damon has have new glimpses of them in the trailer with the exception of one scene which is his best scene. And uh, I'm going to shout it out now. MVP, I'm going to give you the MVPs of both Oppenheimer and Barbie. The MVP of Oppenheimer, and I feel like all the, okay, first off, we're ignoring the th- foremost talked about people in both the movies we're gonna not talk about Margot. we're not gonna talk about ryan gosling because they're both great we're not gonna mm-hmm. talk about killing murphy robert engineer because they're both great mm-hmm. but the surprise mvps are jason clark and oppenheimer and america ferrera and barbie both of which are like fantastic like probably the best i've seen either of them although granted i am pretty unaware of america ferrera i mean i think she's good i'm also kind of unaware of her i yeah. was never like i remember watching ugly, ugly betty, betty in uh, college you were in that class, right? What class? In pilot writing class, where he made his show watch. Oh well, I did. I wasn't in the same class with you, but I did take that class. But I don't remember him showing us Ugly Betty. Oh, he you showed it with HD. Yeah, he showed uh, the Ugly Betty um, pilot, and I remember because we all voted on a pilot to watch too, and we voted on the Rusted Velvet pilot. And he tried to turn it off on the next time on Rusted Velvet, and we're like, "That's not a preview. It's a joke. Stop. Let it play." Mm. <laughs> that's oh, that's wild. I don't actually remember what pilot we like watched with HD, but I remember I took another class which was just about writing short films and it was with a TA who was really into writing like genre things so we did we read the bible for the 90s batman and then we wrote an episode of the 90s batman and that was that's kind of what i think of when i think of like my college television writing experience even though i i mean cuz i feel like with hd we watched some drama as a pilot but i don't remember what and it's just interesting that with you he was like we were going to talk about comedies and then my experience was we're going to talk about superhero television shows. That's so interesting so. to me, just superhero t- TV. It's like, who cares, you know? <laughs> really? I, yeah, I actually, that I was know. one of the my, more fun things I got to write because it was, you get to set up like the villain for the episode and it's pretty easy to write like a commercial break and, like, because it's, it's like, oh, what where, building are you going to have you know, explode before you look the commercial back break at school, happens? You look back at school and we always have these moments where we're like, why were they teaching us that? And I feel like being like, yeah, I took superhero television writing 101 is one of those things where it's like, why that and not like a sitcom class? But also it was it was just pilot writing for me. We watched um, 
Because I wrote a drama script. I wrote a drama pilot mm -hmm. for that class. Well, I wrote a drama for the pilot class, but now looking back, I think it was more useful to do the superhero thing because that was like sitcom writing. Because you had to come up with, like, we, we learned about, like, A plots, B plots, C plots, but it was just... It was just very clear and exciting to write Batman versus a villain of the week because I think that is actually much more like what it would be like to be like, oh, Raymond gets a promotion at work and Robert's jealous about him and it like boils over on Thanksgiving. That yeah. sounds like a good episode of television and you learn about structure. And, and the, the drama pilot I wrote was, like, Game of Thrones-level complex. And oh. it's something that I don't think I uh, would... That's I, your mistake. Like, I wrote a drama pilot that was basically, like, Inception, the TV series. But it was, like, every episode is a different dream level you have to, like, accomplish a goal in. Oh. So it was kind of like an anthology show, really. Or, like, it was very Quantum Leap-inspired, saying, as someone who's never watched an episode of Quantum Leap, but is aware of what it's about. Yeah. But, yeah, Barbie is Greta Gerwig's worst film. Oh no. It's really great still, because I like Lady Bird and Little Women a lot, and Oppenheimer can't ever say it's, you know, the best film off first watch, but it definitely flirts with it, so. Exciting. Yeah. And, I mean, what a what a weird way to, like, plug Barbie at the end, and we're not, like, yeah, I mean, we're not, I, I we're Barbie, not like, in Barbie's Barbie pocket or anything, but I feel like people would well, have a great time I going did, to see Barbie. I did just sign over my likeness to Barbie for uh, perpetua and perpetuity to the oh, WP legal right. department, so. Mm. <laughs> I know someone who has that job. Oh, to, um, yeah. do, they, do they work Barbie? They work? No, 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 they just, they were, were a PA on practic Impractical Jokers, and oh. it was their job to get waivers for people. I don't know, it's just the funny only, hearing The only thing that, we like, noticed that was weird about that. the waiver was it's like, we can use this for sequels, and I was kind of like, uh, all right. Oh. I, don't, I don't know why you would pull this out for sequels. Did they have a thing that was like, you can't talk bad about Barbie if we use your image? Because I, that would be me as like, well, they just right, the footage. the sequel. They would throw out the footage, I think, right, if I said something bad about Barbie. Well, I mean, like, in your real life, if you were like, hey, everybody, I'm Danny Vincent, and it's my face that's in the Barbie sequel promo. Yeah. And th th this wasn't about the sequel. I hope there was, there was nothing the there was nothing about that. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, speaking of I don't know how to make this transition. <laughs> let's talk about the Pixar movies that this podcast is about. Okay. But at some point I have to ask you about something else too. Oh, that's Oh, we definitely do and I want to get to that, but like we yeah. we have to One so, of the best notes uh, I got was here, like the podcast Pixar do, podcast needs to be about I Pixar. I got I got a great transition here is that I uh, I saw two shows here. One of them was called Shucked. I did not like it, although I had an awkward conversation at the other show with the person next to me who knew, noticed I was alone. It was like, have you seen Chucked? And I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, it's so funny. It's so great. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to get in an argument right now. So sure, yeah, I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also just saw Grey House, which stars Laurie Metcalf, star of the Toy Story series, which is mentioned in the Playbill. And we are finishing up the Toy Story tunes today. Who's Laurie Metcalf in Toy Story? She's Andy's mom. Oh. She's great as Andy's mom. I've, I talked about her in the Toy Story 3 episode. I guarantee you I mentioned her. I'm sure you did. I just <laughs> Well, we just watched three shorts that, that were not featuring yeah. Andy's mom. But yes. okay, we did get there. <laughs> yeah. So, Air Mater, Time Travel Mater, Partysaurus Rex. All right. These, the Mater shorts, they're coming out on television. They're just to fill time on Disney Channel. You Actually, already know all of this. If I remember right, Air Mater, even though, yeah, it is on TV, because I definitely had seen Air Mater before, I believe... Air Mater premieres on the DVD. I know you're going to be like, Danny, look it up. But I'm pretty sure, because on the DVD, then it has, like, the postscript scene where it's like, 
hey, they should make a movie about planes, wink. Because it's like, it's an advertisement then, because it's a bonus show. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Air Mater is on the Cars 2 DVD. Because I have the Cars 2 DVD at my house right now, because I checked it out from the library. And on the back it says, Air, featuring bonus tune Air Mater. So Air Mater mm. actually starts as like the home video for Cars 2 gotcha. thing. But then it is aired on TV, because it is just a Cars tune. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I think time travel. Time travel mater is just on television, yeah. which is unfortunate because <laughs> I feel like time travel mater was a little bit more like it's engaging. better. It's better. It's trying less to be commercial. I don't know. It's just full of jokes. When we so we because we're in the same room, we just watched them just now, and we both definitely laughed. Actually, laughed at time travel mater, not at air mater. Yes, the whole but thing I will say uh, to get the general thoughts out of the way, even though I know we shouldn't flirt the subjects, but I do think Party Source Rex is still miles better than either of the cartoons we watched. Today. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you say flirt with like that's some kind of controversial statement. Dun, dun, dun. But I feel like anyone who would watch these would be like Party Source Rex looks way more fun, even though it's similarly unsubstantial. So, if you have never heard of these movies, or you have no desire to watch them, which is understandable. Valid, very valid. Air Mater is about, just Mater telling a story about one time he was doing a tow um, of a car nearby an airstrip, and he sees an advertisement for flight school. So, he joins the flight school and learns how to fly, and then he gets noticed by these stunt planes yeah and then they make the him hawks the hawks and they make him part of their air show and they do the air show something goes wrong and that's when lightning mcqueen is introduced into the story with mater saying remember you, you were there and the then you saved me and lightning mcqueen saves him and that's basically the end of the episode and then there's a little post-credit scene after the really short credits where mater says Not like Disney we should anymore yeah, it's not on Disney Plus, but Mater said, "Man, they should make a movie about planes." And then one of the little forklift trucks says, "That's a great idea, Mater." And then Mater winks at the camera, and then there, it, there's this really winks. long pause. I think they pause. just stare. It's kind of just a stare. <laughs> <laughs> it's John Lasseter is really like messing up the Pixar brand. I think Air Mater is bad for yes. a lot of reasons. I think. The big reason is it's not, it's not really, okay, so here, here's my thought when I was watching Air Mater. This was my main thought. The only time during the thing I had a thought was I remembered when I was a kid and the first Cars movie came out and the tough to get toy was not any of the actual characters in the movie. It was the um, dream sequence Lightning McQueen with the plane things because in Lightning in um Cars 1, there's that sequence where Mater's... Uh, car Lightning has a, like an imaginated... Like, what happens if he wants to piston cuff and he gets the dino code thing and it's like... It ends with him, like, becoming someone who, like, has rockets attached to him and, like, the plane wings. And that variant of Lightning McQueen was always the hardest to find. It was, like, the most expensive type of thing. Everyone wanted it. And that was my thought when I was watching the Air Mater short because I thought for a second, like, oh, okay, this is where that comes from. And I was like... No, it's from Cars. It comes it comes from the original Cars. Because at this point, they just probably did this so they could have a variant of that variant that they could sell even more of. Mm -hmm. But that's really what these... That's really what... Um, we don't really get into it, but the real reason Cars is so expansive is because the merchandising is a huge cash cow for Disney. It is, at this point in time at least, I believe it's bigger than um, anything they have besides Disney princesses. Because they don't own Marvel yet. And it's interesting that they're not... Oh, I guess they're now purchasing Marvel in the process of it. But yeah, sorry, go on. They're... 
Oh, you mean in 2012 yeah. when these come out? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that now they're expanding things with Toy Story, but they don't seem to be doing that with Toy Story. Like, they had the Mini Buzz, which is a pretty interesting toy, but it's not like Partysaurus Rex featured any new lovable characters. It was all bath toys, which are kind of nondescript. So, yeah, I, I know I see what you mean, that Cars exists to make more toys for people. Which is why, of course... And we'll get to these movies we've never seen called Planes, which I imagine will be much more boring episodes on our John Carter episode. Uh, <laughs> then still come back for them, please. Why do you, uh, what? <laughs> what? I don't know. We can we can make it into something. It's true. John, we're just I think we're just saying that because John Carter was a very interesting episode. Well, I say that because I know initially when we were making the detour list, it was literally like Mission Impossible, John Carter, and the Planes movies, and then like everything else kind of came after that. I'm not happy about Planes. I guess we shouldn't say it will be a not interesting episode. But we will have s strong negative feelings. Well, what about I think planes. is interesting is that these shorts are made by Pixar Canada. So if these were planes things, it would actually make more sense to give it to Disney Toon Studios because I believe they're the people who actually produce Pixar um, planes, the planes movies. Yeah. And ergo, wouldn't it make more sense to give it to the people who are actually going to use those assets to do it? Like you know what I mean? Like they just use the assets that are going to be in planes. It just oh, I see. Like, I see what you mean. Well, although I guess also they probably don't want to like just send Mater over. I don't know. You can like you can remake Mater. That's like that one Incredibles student project that we saw. I don't know. Not not much good to like say about this short. It's wild watching these live with someone. Yeah. And like I'm I'm the one you holding call my me out phone. when I laughed. <laughs> when did you laugh? No, no, no. I'm saying during because during time travel I was gonna be like ah oh, it sucked and you're like well Danny you did laugh a few times I'm like. I guess I did. <laughs> well, I think I don't think I would have laughed if I was alone. But that I'm just saying it was interesting watching it together because you do have that communal communal theater experience. But even yeah. though we had that, I was definitely kind of checked out during Air Mater. Yes, it's a like, very kind of looking easy around a few times. I I was running out of it in general. Uh, the thing that um, drove me craziest most about like watching on your phone was. The sound in Party Source Rex was that we didn't, I didn't get that nice surround sound on my TV at home. Of a, of oh a, of man, a, of great I, music. We've I've been I so because I can't watch things on my laptop. I've actually been watching the Fast and Furious with my really good, um, like phone amp, which oh, you see cool. down there. I should have done that because it, it's actually surprising how good the audio is on movies with that. But like, I don't know, whatever. There's a rave in Partysaurus Rex. It's I great. guess, I don't know. You don't have anything nice to say about Air Mater, do you? I don't have a lot nice to say about Time Travel Mater, even though I do laugh a few times. I, I have a big disc one discussion point on Time, time Travel Mater. Mm -hmm. Well, we should say that Air Mater does feature Stacy Keach, who was for a long time the voice of Shaggy before Matthew Lillard kind of took over. What? Hmm? Am who I confusing it? him with Fred? Who are you thinking of? What? Who? Stacy Keach? Stacy Keach was the Maybe voice of Shaggy. I think it's Casey Kasim who was Shaggy for years. Who's Stacy Keach? I don't know. I didn't well, recognize the uh, name. I just told you to pause. I I literally was just like, pause all it. All right. Because I wanted to see. I, I had you pause it because I was curious who, if the, the plane was a plane who popped up in planes, if that makes sense. That's I'm why I was curious. I'm sorry that I did this. This is, wow, I definitely recognize him. 
He looks like he's in Cheech and Chong. He's in what? Cheech and Chong. Why do I know who Stacy Keach is now? In, we're looking at him. He's in the. He was on theater for. Uh, but like, why have I looked him up before? I definitely he's in remember. He's in Legacy in Nebraska. This does look like a guy who would be in Nebraska. He's in Gaudi, which means I can quote New York City, the greatest fucking city in the world. Well, uh, I'm in New York City. He was in so many things. He is in planes. That's really what I was curious about. Is he he's, in planes? He's in planes, but he must have had another voice role for me to look him up here. I'm sorry. Is He's in Normal. W. He's in uh, American History X. He's in Mask of the Phantasm. That's probably it. He voices the Phantasm in Mask of the Phantasm. That's a pretty big role. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. I can't figure out why I know Stacy. Is Keach. that his character name then for Cars tunes? Ooh, wait. I know it's because Stacy Keach has a very deep voice, and he was the narrator of something. Uh, okay, whatever. I might. I'll figure. But this Skipper Riley was the name of his character in Cars, right? He was the narrator for the Duelists. Maybe the Duelists is a good movie. Yeah. Skipper Riley. But no, but that that was his character in the short too, right? Yeah. Okay. So he was. So he was okay. Cool. That's that's what I assumed. All right, Air Mater, nothing. Nothing. All right. Time here. travel Mater. So the hilarious one. It's still not that great. Okay. Um, it's a Back to the Future riff. Um, it's got some good elements, but I want to talk about the worst element first that I think you were gonna bring up anyway, and I think you might like him. I think John Michael Higgins is delivering a really bad voice performance in this that completely ruins the short. There's okay. no attempt to make him sound like he's old-timey at all. It's just John Michael Higgins' speaking voice, and I'm reminded of Mark's first controversial take ever among our friend group, which is when we all went to go see Sicario, and we walked out of it, and I was kind of... I, I mean, I still wow, like Sicario. I have no memory of... The, this is interesting. Well, actually, wait, wait, wait. Okay, well, if you have no memory, let me uh, tangent it to another thing. I don't that, like Sicario. No, 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 but... no. Okay. Well, let me tangent to something then really quick, is that recently I hung out with former guests of the podcast, Julius Jefferson, for our birthdays. Because we share the same birthday, we never actually hung out on the same birthday. And I always tell that story where it's like, we didn't find out until like six months in, we share the same birthday. And then Julius was like, yeah. this when we, I mentioned that, you know, in our, this outing we had, and Julius was like, well, that's not the full story, Danny. It's like, wait, there's more to it? I don't remember. And Julie just goes, yeah, what happened was I was talking to Jack, who was our roommate at the time, um, Julie's roommate at the time, about summer plants, and I mentioned that my birthday was July 3rd, and then you said to me, you're lying. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's my controversial take that I didn't no, believe no. that you and Julius no, had no, the no, same no, no, birthday? No, 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 this is a tangent. This is a tangent off my tangent. Because that's pretty hard to believe. No, I no, no, but, but listen, be... when Julie said that to me, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Because someone saying to me, they share the same birthday, I would assume it's like, I walk up to Especially everyone. Especially when you're, t- you're, you, you're both roommates with each other. No, we weren't yet, though. This was our freshman year. We weren't roommates yet. Mm. But the thing was, is, uh, to me, if you know me, you know I'm just going to probably walk up to you and wish you a happy birthday, like... At least three times a week, anyway. It's just a running bit I do. I've just—it's just been a weird part of me that I always walk up and be like, "Oh, happy birthday!" When I see you, not online. I'm not gonna text you happy birthday, but if I lived by you, Mark, I would say happy birthday to you like three times a week. It's just something that would happen. Okay. Um. So I just so when I heard Julia say that we shared a birthday, I just assumed it was the bit being like reversed on me. Oh. So I was like, okay, that that does make sense. But no, your Sicario take leaving it was—we're all mad about this take. Was you thought the movie looked too clean? You thought the Dakin cinematography was bad because you thought the movie looked too clean. This was your take, because I remember you know, we all mashed you for it. I don't know if I would put it that way, but I still feel like there's something there that I still agree with myself with, even though I, I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't put it that way. But it's 
that's not even a Deacon's thing. I think my my whole take with Denis Villeneuve is what some people feel about Kubrick, where I feel like he's too sanitary, even though he's showing you, like, this, you know, body bag full of blood or something like that. I feel like that I, I tracking think... shots, except for the car coming in in the beginning, which I really, that, I think that's my favorite part of Sicario. I but think like, it's interesting you say that because I think, in a way, I think Villeneuve's best film, at least of his American stuff, because I haven't seen his non-American. Well, I guess let me rephrase: English language stuff, because I haven't seen any of his non-English language stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his best one is Arrival, which I know isn't a hot take, but I think Arrival does have messiness to it, like Jeremy Renner going, "Let's make a baby," <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen Arrival, and I. I just hate that movie. No, like, I, what, like I, what? What is it when all when like all the aliens come, like traffic stops and people get depression? Like, why is that your response to aliens showing up? I mean, Amy Adams in that movie has depression already. It's not well, related. I mean, I don't know. I, told you my I, I think that's wait, wait. part of part of that is like me also being like I depression love my is such this wide thing that I'm like annoyed when people are just like I'm sad. Well, don't see the Barbie movie then. Uh... <laughs> well, I feel I feel like I like the Barbie movie more. Like anyone can do it better than Denis. Well, did I tell you? Wait, wait. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out my parents on this podcast. This is actually legitimately funny. Uh, do you remember the twist of Arrival? And I, I love my parents. They were on this podcast a few weeks ago, so I can give tell the story. Do you remember the twist ending of Arrival? It, it has something to do with like the the guy from China is like, I have your phone number, by the way. So I don't. I'm like, it's all confused. So you spoil a movie that is six years old and that everyone should have seen by now if they were interested in it. The central conceit of Arrival is they are trying. Amy Adams is a linguist who's trying to crack the aliens' language. They constantly mention this theory in Arrival, where when you crack the language of someone, you first start learning it, you begin to think in the same way that culture does. Specifically, using like exciting examples that I don't know because I'm not a linguist and I don't really know what her language is, but like. You know how, oh, well, here's a good example that I don't want to start into a side argument, even though it very much could be, is recently it was announced that the new Miyazaki movie, which is titled How Do You Live in Japan, is going to be titled The Boy and the Heron Here, because the exact meaning of the title is not How Do You Live in English, and there's no word in English for exactly what it means. Mm. Um, so, but like that, right? That's, that's what the argument Arrival has. And since the aliens are fourth dimensional beings in Arrival, the idea is, is that once... Amy Adams cracks their coat language and can speak in it. She can now see time as a language. And she can both move herself forward and back in time just through thought, basically. Oh. And she's like becomes unstuck in time. Yeah, that yeah. would annoy me. Well, okay, so Arrival opens up with this montage that I think is great, because I love Arrival, where it gives you the conceit that Amy Adams' daughter died. Like it's like kinda like the opening of Up, where it's like she gives birth to a daughter. Uh, you see the daughter grow up, and then the daughter dies, and then the movie begins. And the end of the movie reveals that that was actually the end of the movie when she gets together with Jeremy Renner, and Jeremy Renner says, let's make a baby. They're talking about that child because she's unstuck in time. So that whole story is something she knows when she immediately like goes to be get impregnated with the baby. You know, conceive the mm, baby. Yeah. The idea being that, well, one, it's this weird thing where it's like, fate is fate. You can't really change it, but also... It is still good to bring good into the world, even if you know it will be snuffed out. Although it's a really weird thing where, of course, it's about her child, and it's, like, a big, complicated thing. Mm-hmm. But it's... I just find it really fascinating. But anyway, the story I was going to tell was I saw this movie in college, and then we really liked it. And that year at Thanksgiving, we were looking for movie sales. I was like, why don't we see Arrival? We all like, you know, Inception and Interstellar. Like, it's, the, it's like a Nolan-esque film. So we all go to see Arrival. 
We all like it to varying degrees. And I, I, I okay, I want to be very clear. If you haven't seen Arrival, that ending is explained out to you also in dialogue in a way. Not, not like, it's not expressly, it's not like said exactly how I said it, but it's pretty dang clear. It's like in a, a Nolan movie, right? It's, it, it makes sure, like, you know exactly what the message is. And then we walk out, my mom and my dad, vocal. I thought it was beautiful. She decided to try again and have another kid. And oh. my brother was just like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so how do you explain that? Did they say they were like just not super? Well, the way the I, the way I, the way I easily got them on the like, this is the correct. This isn't something you can interpret. This is like what the film is. Is they use the same footage at the end of the montage of a new kid as they do at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So you can tell it's the same kid, and like you know, just you someone just gotta logic it out. You guys can't be like. No, this is what the this is what the thematic point was. You have to actually like, here's what the movie gives you. This is how you. And they go, oh, I didn't catch that, and it's like, all right, cool. Now, now you're there with what mm. the movie gave you. All this to say is, I think John Michael Higgins is not great in Time Travel Meter. Oh, okay. Well, that that was because you, that was because of my Sicario take. Like, it wasn't appropriate for the time period or whatever well it's like it's too clean that's what i was gonna say it's like i think his voice performance is too clean mm. he doesn't he just he's a clean guy i'm kind of surprised that they got him because he he's such he's like baby fred willard it makes just, sense he's kind he of a talks, character he's actor. like he's like I, I can't i can't do a super clean voice but he's just kind of has that like this is how i talk and this is what you're going to get there from was, me. I'm I like a car salesman. It is during his, um, I feel like his biggest moment of his career, maybe this is a hot take, but I do think when John Michael Higgins was like doing Pitch Perfect and then hosting game shows, which was like around this time. So I guess he was kind of the semi-big get, but also not like, there's no reason he'd be like, you want me to do a guest spot on a Cars TV show? No. Like why? Why would he say that? Like, I'm. This is something that I'm only recently kind of discovering is part of people's career decisions. But like, that you would say yes or no to something. Like I don't know. I find it hard to. I, I find it so hard to believe that people are like, no, it will hurt my brand if I take a car's role. I remember. Like, what are you doing? Like, get some money. Well, what I remember is going back to actually Laurie Metcalf very briefly. Um, being really disappointed, she went back to... Although, the pay was really good, so how, who could blame her? Because mm -hmm. Lady Bird kind of, you know... She just won the um, A Doll's House, I believe, in 2016. The uh, Tony for A Doll's House. And then she did Lady Bird and got an Oscar nom that she should have won. Uh, <laughs> definitely one of the most annoying losses in recent memory at the Oscars. Because mm -hmm. she's fantastic in Lady Bird. But there was a moment where it's like, oh shit, is this like Laurie Metcalf's, like, is she finally going to just move on up to being like someone they get when they can't get Meryl Streep? You know what I mean? Not like, you know what I mean? Like, not, she's never going to be A-list, but she's going to be someone they get to fill out the ensemble. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, no, I'm going to do seven years of the TV show and do Broadway in the, when we're not filming. And it's like, well, that's still valid, you know? Like, that is still valid. It's still really valid. Especially but initially because it was like, the TV show became about her, yeah. from what I understand. And I was going to say the same thing about John Goodman, because John Goodman was also having a bit of a moment in 2017, because he did the Cloverfield movie, where he, he didn't win anything for it, but everyone was like, oh my god, John Goodman in this. Yeah, we forgot how great he was. Mm -hmm. And so they were both having this really nice moment, and they both were like, we will gladly anchor a TV show for ABC for nine seasons. That is a good, solid paycheck, 
and we can do other cool stuff in the off season because we are working actors that people want to work with. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I have no no issue with that, and I have. I oh, of course, I have no issue with that. I just remember. I didn't really. I wasn't super like turned off by what's his name, his voice performance either. I think he sounds too old. Is actually, I guess, the way I would put it. He actually sounds too old for the role of what it's supposed to be. Oh, maybe. Because he's supposed to be someone in whatever era they're in who he meets his you know young love mm-hmm. who is now like ninety in present day. So. He shouldn't be sounding like a four-year-old man. Yeah, the the timing (laughs) of the whole thing is... I mean, no, that wouldn't be weird for the time period. I think it'd be better if it was, like, someone who sounds distinctly younger than Mater and Lightning. Because that also adds to the, like, fun Back to the Future vibes if it's, like, a Crispin Glover type. Or even a... I do think this short mostly works because I think Mater and Doc Brown actually have similar energies. Mm-hmm. Like similar chaotic yeah, energies. Yeah. So to okay. Them. So here, here's the oh, really yes. quick summary of time travel. Mater. So Mater <laughs> Sorry, is putting that. up a sign. <laughs> There's the frame story, whatever. Mater is putting up a sign that has a clock on it, and the sign breaks. The clock falls onto his front, and so whenever he sneezes, he travels forward or backwards in time. And he travels backwards the first time, and he meets Stanley, who is the founder of Radiator Springs. And who has been in all these things since the first movie. So yeah. it's something that is... It's, and immediately it's cooler than a lot of these because it's like, oh, this is something you've set up. Yeah. Or like something more that's a piece of history in the town that you can now utilize for this story. Yeah. But so he meets him and he's this traveling hubcap salesman and Mater has to make him stick around so that he will found Radiator Springs. And he does it by bringing lightning, lightning back in time to like get him to sell him... A hubcap. Um, a radiator. A radiator cap. Radiator cap, that's right. So he gets him to sell him the lightning. He gets him to fall in love with Lizzie. Although... And oh, that's, all, that's all... basically the end of the short is them getting married. It is a bit more subversive than that. I do think the big highlight of this that we both laughed at and we're like, oh, this is great, is that you was there too is not actually you was there too. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> mid-story. Lightning is taken into the story by a time-traveling mater. Yeah, so Mater comes back into the present and, like, meets Lightning and Mater talking about the story to bring Lightning back to the past, which was, that was subversive and fun. Yeah. Um, And I also think what's fun is, you know, when you said he has to help Stanley fall in love with Lizzie, but it's really more, they make a joke that this is going to be like Back to the Future because Mater's panicking that she's in love with Lightning, but she's just like, get out of the way, I want to talk to the hot Model T behind you. And it's like, that's so wild because I feel like that would have like that was exciting and there could have been a great joke there that I, I, would I actually, it have gotten too long. I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind because I think it is kind of sweet at the end where it's like get out, out of my way. By the way, thank you. And is is that the same stuff at the beginning of the short or no? I'm not sure because I only watched it once and I think you said this was a rewatch. Uh I didn't. I it's been a long time since I watched it the first time. But I, will, I mean, I don't think, I just think there was like a missed opportunity to do another joke there. I don't know. Mater could have just said something that had no effect. Like, look, Lizzie, you got, like, he could have been like insulting Lightning McQueen, but like Lizzie couldn't hear him or something like, I don't know. That's yeah. just a thing. But I'm surprised they didn't make a joke. Like, look at his, like, I, don't, I don't know if this is the way to say it, but it's like, make a joke about like the colors of the vehicles when they're in sepia. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like, they could have been like, look at how nice and red he is. Get oh, his yeah, hot yeah, red yeah. car. Or something like that. <laughs> um, what I also felt like was weird, that felt like a missed opportunity to me, even though I also, okay, I'm going to argue against it and then argue for it. 
is that at the end of the short, we are, I believe we're back at the beginning of the short. We, I, I do think it's just reused footage because Lightning is still skeptical about it. I do think it would have been interesting, though, to see the light, especially as this is the last one, right? This is the last Cars 2. So this is the one where you can actually have it, like, remain canon if you so wish, especially because Cars 2 has come out. Mm -hmm. um, to see, like, them come back to the present and be like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also... I kind of get that they wanted to have their cake and eat it too and still have like the lightning doubt at the end because the doubt at the end is before he goes on the journey. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's much like Arrival. It's unstuck in time. Yeah. Much like Arrival. I don't know. I, yeah, I, th I think, I do think that one is kind of hard to make a choice one way or another, but I think it's actually the right one where they don't bring him back to the, back to the, <gasps> back to the future, back to the <laughs> present but they just cut now, back to lightning listening to the story. Yeah, it's out there. We were thinking of maybe going to it, and I wish I'd maybe gone. I feel like I would have enjoyed it more than Shucked. Well, I, I you're the first person I've ever heard who didn't like Shucked in I person. Know. But I I don't know. I, I honestly have never been super interested in Shucked because of the marketing. It seemed you very know, pandering. Who I thought was really good, you know. So I went to see Grey House today, which has Laurie Metcalf in it. But what I actually... So was, you saw Laurie Metcalf live? Yeah, that was the whole reason I went. Was I was like, because I don't oh. know if I told you, the first time I went... My dad and I really wanted to see Three Tall Women with Glenda Jackson and Laurie Metcalf. It was sold out everywhere. There was no TKTS tickets for it, so we didn't go to it. So today, when I was in line for Shucks to get TKTS tickets, I noticed that, I was like, what's Greyhouse? Laurie Metcalf's in it. Oh, cool. It's a horror play with Laurie Metcalf? Sure, I'll give it a shot. Like, that sounds um, great. But what I thought was really cool about it, that I'm going to be talking to a lot of people about, is someone else was, well, the show also has Paul Sparks and... Tatiana, I'm going to butcher her last name because I always butcher her last name, but it's the woman from Orphan Black. Maslani? Yeah, I always butcher her name, so I'm not even mm. going to try to copy you. But then what I was really excited about in it, it also had the, um, the female lead from Beetlejuice, whose name I forget, but who played Lydia on Broadway of Beetlejuice originally. And then who I was excited about was Millicent Simmons was in it. It was her Broadway debut, which is really cool. That is the greatest part of the Quiet Place movies, the deaf actress in them. Oh. And she was in it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Because I also, I feel like, and I don't know if this sounds like weird or anything, but I would, I've always like wanted to see like one of the really great deaf actors that are working. I actually do consider her one of them, at least in film. Mm -hmm. um, at least she's the best young deaf actress working. Because I, I think she was also in that Todd Haynes movie that I still haven't seen. Mm -hmm. um, but then, of course, she is... I don't like the Quiet Place movies, but I have no problems with her performances in them. Which, by the way, I did realize Oppenheimer is a Quiet Place reunion because Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy. Um, man, that Broadway fucking sucks, man. So, like, I had no <laughs> idea this this was coming out. I did... I made a joke about this that I had no idea that, about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I have seen advertisements for like Jackie Chan as Splinter is on the subway but I didn't know like I didn't know like when it was coming out but if I saw like a picture of Laurie Metcalf and all of these people and it's like there's a there's a horror play on Broadway I would have like you know I should have invited you with me although it was to... kind of pricey I don't think you would have yeah well I mean I wouldn't have gone for that but I mean I would've it would have been it. something I would have the thing is if it's something interesting, I would like to spend some amount of money on it. So like, I spent about one hundred and ten dollars ticket, or but I was centered. I was center like row F with pretty good seats. I'll be real though. I also I don't I don't be like I hated it because I didn't hate it. I was it was like solid. It wasn't like I like I, I was glad I saw it. It was something where I liked the acting and like the like cool horror stuff more than anything else in it. The actual story of it was. Something where you, you kind of figure out all the mysteries yourself about some minutes and you're just waiting for the characters to get there. And mm -hmm. the characters aren't interesting enough to really carry it. 
but it's like, ah, oh, cool, Laurie Metcalf's doing this. Oh, cool, Nelson Simmons is doing this. Ah, oh, Tatiana Maslany, Paul Sparks. Do you know who mm-hmm. Paul Sparks is? I really like Paul Sparks. I don't know Paul Sparks. He was in House of Cards, ah. um, but he was very good on it for the seasons I watched. And he's just also a character actor who pops up and stuff. Yeah. I think he might have been on Succession, but I don't know who he was. I feel like he, I think he was maybe like one or two episodes of Succession. Yeah. We should talk about Party Saurus Rex. Yeah, Party Saurus Rex, Party Saurus, Party Poopa. (laughs) (laughs) So this came out attached to the 3D re-release of Finding Nemo, and it is about Rex getting taken by, what is that child's name? Bonnie. Bonnie. (laughs) I was like, that child. (laughs) To be with her during, like, bathtub playtime, and I forget why, but... He's he's basically he just wanted a toy, and I think if you really look at your options, there Rex is probably the, like one of the few choices in that room. Yeah, so he gets taken by Bonnie to go play with her during bath time, and then she leaves him in the bathtub, and then he learns that all of the bathtub toys don't like it. <laughs> Have an existential yeah. nightmare that like they they can't move when there's no water, so they crave bath time. And none of them can do anything about it because none of them have arms. But Rex is the first toy they've ever like. Actually, there's another toy, but like Rex is the first one with arms. <laughs> Not existential crisis toy that's just stuck. Yeah, there's an octopus who's like trapped on a higher shelf, but Rex. No, well, no, okay. She's not only trapped on a higher shelf. She's stuck. She's a soap toy, where it's uh, like the more you use the soap, the more. Oh, she you, di- she she's... can die. What? No, is no, that she's what she is? no, no, no. She's, this was a thing that I remember, it's not really a thing anymore, and I actually don't think it was really a thing when this came out, but this used to be a thing where you'd get a kid a soap toy, where there's a toy encased in the soap, and so when you use all the soap, the toy is available once you're done. Oh, okay. This is just something that I was unaware of. Yeah, but since she's on a high shelf, and Bonnie's parents are getting her, I think you're supposed to assume that toy is not going to get out anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Rex is the one who's able to turn the water back on, and because Mr. Potato Head was, like, making fun of him earlier for being it's a... very... Ba- <laughs> connect once again. It's very Back to the Future 2. Oh, I don't even remember Back to the Future Oh, too. there's, like, this like, whole thing where Marty is just randomly called Chicken and, like, ruins his life. It's, like, oh. <laughs> a very dumb, like, what character flaw can we give Marty McFly? If someone says Chicken to him, it's he, refuses, he refuses to back down. <laughs> Like, I, have you not seen Back to the Future? Like, literally, no, it's like, it's just in, in, the, in the dark future, it's like, I, one of his coworkers is like, I need you to commit tax fraud for me. And he's like, eh, I don't want to do that. Because he's like, you know, Michael J. Fox is playing him like the nerd that, you know, his dad became. Yeah. And he's like, I, I don't want to do that. And then he goes, what, are you a chicken? And then he goes, <laughs> all right, all right, I'll do it. I'm not a chicken. I'll do it. And he does it, and he immediately gets a phone call. Did you just commit tax fraud? You're fired. He goes, oh no. <laughs> well, I, re- I really re- need to rewatch those movies, but um, yeah, they were fun. I, I marathoned them all at the music box uh, earlier this year. Very mm, fun. Gotcha. But yeah. Well, anyway, so Rex is the one who is able to turn the water back on, but he overdoes it, so it floods. It it like builds and builds, and the bath toys are having this huge party, but the water keeps rising, and Rex keeps adding more and more water, despite his fears that it will overflow eventually it, the climax is it just does overflow and the real people have to call a plumber and then the short basically ends no 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 no. so the best part of the short and i'll, I'll this will be me talking about the actual ending of the short and we can just move it to move into it, 
is you think it might be like you might get a lesson in here that Rex needs to learn not to some potato head and, and like like himself. But the message that we're given instead is that the pool toys need this to happen to them too. And Rex is like, okay, sure, I'll do it. The last like we I might have flooded the house, but let's do it again. Oh, and I yeah, love that there's no lesson. It's just yeah, let's party. Mm. <laughs> It's funny how watching something like this, I am just thinking like it is a metaphor for drugs the entire time. But then like the it's hard throws to throws it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's not like a. It's clearly a drugs are bad, but like we're not super committed to this, so just like have fun with your pool toys or whatever. But it's just it's just funny that any like party scene like this is like. Man, he re he really likes to party, right? We have to have even more party. Oh man, he really likes to party. We're going a little crazy. The water's getting higher, and that is how things progress. This is such a 2012 short. This is where I hope this thing came out in 2012. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think it, it did. Yeah, yeah, I, know, I think there's all yeah because we haven't done brave yet. But I think about high school. When I was in high school in 2010 to 2014, and we watched, um, you know, we 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 watched ton of movies, obviously, because I was always in the movies. But of course, you know, you listen to the radio, you go to school dances, and the number one song of all those years that dances was "Party Rock Anthem" by LMFAO, and the Avicii music, and this entire like movement of like EDM pop mm -hmm. music, and then this short is like composed by I don't I I wish I'd written down the name, but it isn't. It's like it has like an actual like. EDM artist doing all the music in here, and mm. it's a vibe. It like very much captures like ah yes, this is what this is what school dances used to be. You could keep talking. I'm just looking. At I was the... well. I was concerned that it was actually okay. We're good. Uh, ben Kendrick of the Christian Science Monitor said this was the most enjoyable franchise spinoff to date. So get mm. wrecked any other franchise spinoff up to this point. Maybe we should do a solid to this Wikipedia page and like find more reviews of it. Um, the electronic artist BT composed the music for the short. Uh, NAU5, who looks like they did one of the songs, or like did a remix of the song too. Maybe mm. they did the credit song, I don't know. Is there any reason for us to watch Tron Legacy? Is no. that a thing okay Unless i we want to like count tom like cruise a... now as a uh, honorary no, he can he cannot be because i'm not watching every tom cruise movie <laughs> i feel like this has got me a podcast for that already called like cruise control or something cruise control yeah i think it's too or the cruise missile because people always call him the cruise missile great uh. <laughs> well anyway party saurus rex it felt much the, the more shorts that we have never seen i at least have never seen these before today so i can oh i'd talk seen party saurus rex but i don't actually remember when because i did not see finding nemo in theaters. I'd seen the other two made our shorts, of course, on Disney Channel, but I don't remember when I saw it. Maybe, I think maybe Party Source Directs may have got some Disney Channel play. I think that might have been where I've seen it. But much more enjoyable than the Mater shorts, which at this point just kind of are annoying to me. Oh, yeah. I'm very we're, curious we're about... We've ever done. I'm very curious about, like, what Cars tunes could possibly be about, you know, Not like... Mater, yeah. Yeah, like, what other stories are you dying to tell about the Cars universe that aren't, aren't just like, well, I don't know, what if... Like how do how do they poop? I don't know. <laughs> Great. Everyone has a new idea. You know, it is a little disappointing that you know with Mater and the ghost, like they already had addressed the ghost thing, and we didn't get like an actual like ghost story. Mater, like where's Mater Haunted Mansion? Mm -hmm. we could in theaters today. One. We're not sponsored by. Di I made a joke. Uh, not when you were there, but when we were in line for TKTS, because they have the huge thing in Times Square. I got my Times Square Barbenheimer picture today. I was so happy. Actually. 
Side note, I was very annoyed. So, you know, we did Barbie first. Then we went to actually grab a pizza down the street. Because the people who weren't seeing Barbie got a pizza for us. I was like, oh, my God, thank you. You guys are lifesavers type mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, and that's, we were a, that's a really good pizza. Well, I don't know. There are a few pizza places by that. But there's a really good one that you may, it was, may not it have was gone to. Whatever it was, we, it was, I said pe- cheese and pepperoni, but it was really good. It was also just like, you know, we needed food. And it was like, oh, thank God. This will definitely get us through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were walking down, we noticed that they actually did have the posters of Oppenheimer and Barbie right next to each other. But then when we were walking back, there was like a professional photographer there. And I was like, Ugh. I don't know if this is ever like a professional photographer. He's like, like making people pay him to get pictures here or if it's like a news reporter but the thing was it was still there when we were doing Oppenheimer so I, my guess is more that it was like a professional photographer trying to get some money yeah. I think that yeah. would be the more logical thing but um what was I saying before this because I was actually building to something uh, you were oh okay so I was gonna say I got my Barbenheimer Times Square picture today and then I was gonna say when I was online for TKTS I made this joke about something <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't remember the joke you were winding up to tell me that you made? Yes. Oh, okay. But what let, me try to, let me try to think. <laughs> uh, something about like the never-ending supply of cars stories or something like... No, okay, no. Because we I was saying Cars Haunted Mansion in theaters now uh, coming in here. Okay, now I got it. Is so there's like you know the, the, obviously there's Oppenheimer stuff there's Ninja Turtles stuff there's Gran Turismo stuff there's Barbie stuff at Times Square but also the only thing for Mission Impossible in Times Square is an ad for their podcast so I kept making a joke that we should get sponsored by Pixar except for the fact that like you know we trash half the stuff they put out so they would never sponsor us and put us up in Times Square yeah what a weird pre- what a weird premise we have yeah did do we do we have here's a question do we have many listeners among that group that went with you. Well, you know, like Carson, Zach. Oh, I'm kind of surprised to be if, on. if it's 17 so, people, it, it might be most of them. No, not all of them listen to us. Um, I know a couple of them listen, like when, say, for example, Jay wasn't here, but Jay is part of, you know, this group of people online. Actually, um, well, I'll, I'll say that to you off mic later. I had, I had a thought about our outing and how I missed Jay. So, Jay, if you're listening okay. to this, we missed you. Well, we'll keep oh. this in. It, yeah. Keep in, keep in mind, it might be hard to cut things from this episode. Yes. So, turning them around like that into a nice we miss Jay message is yes. always the move. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Party, Party Saurus Rex, though, just some things to, like, to recommend this to people. It's interesting to see them do bubble physics. Yes. I think that was cool. And, and I what's think... fun is it's, like, fun bubble physics. It's, like, there's, like, laser lights going into the bubbles type of thing. Yeah. And I don't know why this was something that stood out to me. They have a little tugboat guy, and he's doing a sailor accent. Yeah, and that's Captain an Ahab to me. Yeah, and I've just I just haven't heard that accent in so long. Like they had the guy from Deadliest Catch in Cars too, and of course he doesn't do this old time sailor accent. Well, let me tell but... you, uh, if you remember in our John Carter episode, I recently watched Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's plenty of that in there. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I tried I try to like separate pirate accent and old timey sailor in my mind, but maybe that I suppose. Well, but even there though, anything. like you do have old timey sailor in Pirates of the Caribbean as well, who aren't necessarily pirates. Mm-hmm. You have like Gibbs in the beginning of the movie before he becomes a pirate. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so Party Saurus Rex, whatever. It's Wallace totally Shawn fine. is great. Don Rickles does a great time doing the different. Delivers a poopa. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we should say that when Rex is having these like moments, it's when Mr. Potato Head is like floating by his head in a bubble. Yeah. And that's an interesting bit of like. And to be clear, because like, I never sub- made the connection, that's why I brought effects. up Back to the Future too. To that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's just interesting to see like subjective effects. You know, we were talking about John Carter and how sometimes we see things from Dominic West's perspective, 
and sometimes we see things from other people's perspective and we talk about that in terms of like subjective editing it's interesting to see something like an animated short that has subjective special effects i feel like i i want to mention oppenheimer very briefly because i feel like this is time to say something i feel like should be put on the record is that christopher nolan has been lying to you all he said in the marketing mm -hmm. for Oppenheimer that the color scenes are Oppenheimer's perspective and the black and white is the objective truth. Having seen the movie, I do not believe that is true. I believe he's correct on the color. I believe the black and white sequences are from uh, Levi Strauss, who is um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character's point of view. Because mm. I, I think it's very clear. It's like, neither of these are the truth. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, and it, yeah it also allows like the way, the way Oppenheimer is way more of a jerk in the black and white stuff it's way more easier to buy the movie that way because it's like truth has to be somewhere in between these extremes yeah yeah and of course also you know when you're making a biopic inherently you're adding the idea of subjectivity you should just make the entire thing be clearly subjective mm -hmm. i think the movie is that way i just think he's yeah i just think he was saying this to like try to keep it easier in your head going into it uh i think you know while sean's always been great in these i think he it's fun to get a little showcase here and i just do think I think the One bath toys. Voice actors. I, I I kind of lose this when we we're doing the. What's so fun about us doing the intro together right now is that when we do the intro, we can like cut it and be like, oh, let's sing about it. And you know, not the intro, but you know, like talking about like the plot of the shorts. Like I cut it in a couple times. But, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The existential stuff here is just kind of like, wow, these people like these toys really have like the worst life possible. They lay on. And again, this <laughs> is why I really don't like them examining the questions of them being toys. I feel like it's it's like. It's, it's basically it's, like, what if you made this about humans, and then it was like, well, your life sucks if you think about it too much. It's a weird way to open this idea, too, because I, I think it, it exists to make this short funny and important, but, like, I think you could still have them be able to hop around, you know, like a veggie tail type of thing. Okay. I don't think... I think there's a way to do this and not give you that existential terror of these toys cannot move. But again, nothing in here is as terrifying as the belt buckle in Small Fry to me. Yeah, the belt yeah, buckle yeah. being alive is more horrifying. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, don't, I think I think it is always a mistake. And I'm glad that they got, this This seems, I don't know why this short really exists. This is like the most shallow, I would say, of these three Toy Story tunes. Yeah, it's not even it's like fun. the Barbie and Ken short, which at least had like a sweet moment. The more, the more I think about it, the more I'm really like, dang, that is a really nice moment in the Barbie yeah. and Ken short where it's just like, let's just go outside and, and kiss in the snow instead of doing all this stuff. It's but so like, sweet. It's it's completely out of place. And it's like great, though. It's Yeah. And then the, the I'm not going to talk essentially about the Barbie movie, but there is a moment in the Barbie movie where it's simultaneously probably the funniest joke in the movie, but it's happening during one of the emotional climaxes. And it's like, I really wish there was a way they could have found a, of a location for this joke. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, in a way, it's kind of... It's kind of like, you know how people talk about, like, Marvel... And I'm not going to say, like, this is Marvel humor, because that's, like, such a... But people talk about the idea of Marvel humor. What they really mean is, like, something dramatic happens, and then there's a joke right after it. Specifically, you know, people always use that example in Thor Ragnarok, where, like, Asgard explodes, and Cork's just making jokes about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually mind that, personally. But my thing here was, like, this is a really good joke, but if you put it anywhere else in the movie, it would also be funnier it's way harder for me to buy back into the emotional thing that i'm already at once you made that joke yeah um yeah. but whereas the barbie and ken thing in hawaiian vacation you have that sweet moment and then you have the joke but it doesn't change the fact that the moment was sweet yeah there's one bit in this i really like also where because you talked about the bubble effects and the lighting mm -hmm. i also love the moment when the fish 
goes underwater and oh yeah and you get the light underwater too which is really cool all these other ones is like why didn't they animate these at pixar canada and this one's like oh okay this is what like the main pixar people are doing although i think pixar can't we'll mm-hmm. we'll date all the uh, pixar can is probably something we'll talk about a lot when we actually get to the um toy story specials because i know they did those so and they're fine it's just this this movie was this looks just really good very like aesthetically pleasant and another example of that fish when he goes down there underwater, he has the line, what's up, fishes? And then everyone starts dancing under there, and that's, like, on par with the uh, ghost protocol joke of no shit. I hate that. I hate these jokes. Well, okay, but what's up, fishes is a little... It is a different joke. No shit is, like, here's the ones where you get... What's up, fishes, like, here's a really dumb pun. Oh, well, I, diff- I, I am scared to ask this. <laughs> okay. It's about the Barbie movie. Okay. Does the beat you off joke... Okay, the beat, you, the beat you off joke is better because it's longer. Basically, what you get in the trailer is the beginning. Also, the beat you off joke. This isn't really even a. Sp- the beat you off joke is in the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, okay. Um, so interesting. Yeah. So well, the, anyway. To me, the stuff in the trailer still some funny, but once it starts adding stuff and making it bigger, it's like okay, you, now you, just you, because like, you've loops said back it, around so, to yeah, being that's funny. basically yeah. It's one of those things. Where it's like all right, they just keep saying it, so now it's funny again. Okay. Good. So, yeah. I just I had to I had to check in for everyone who felt like me. Yeah. Listening. Uh, um, the Barbie take I forgot to drop very quickly is I don't know about I think Oscar talk is really silly in July. But that said, Ryan Gosling better get nominated for best original song for Barbie. <laughs> what are, What are your other party saurus thoughts? Um, you know, actually that was about it. I, wa- I just wanted to mention that shot underwater. Although I also was going to mm-hmm. say, because of What Up Fishes, I'm pretty sure realizing now I stole that line from this short when I put it in Grinding Nemo. Yeah, uh, all those years ago. Yeah, well, Grinding Nemo No one knows about that because we actually cut all of Grind. We basically cut all of Grinding Nemo out of the episode. Uh, because it's probably better that way. Yeah, well, so, because we don't want to make promises we can't keep of me reading something that's probably offensive on, on yeah. my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just... It, like listening to it, I was like, that, "There's really nowhere to cut this that it like doesn't." If, if Grinding Nemo gets released to the public, Barbie's marketing will remove me from the marketing because they'll be like, "We can't have this associated with this man." So I didn't even think about that, but like, what if someone got like meme famous for a promo and then they had to be canceled? <laughs> like, yeah, that was a big thing. Is uh, because I'm uh always insecure about my hair. I made sure my hat was on during the the entire time I was on the interview for the Barbie. Circuit. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I, I really quickly good checked for the carpet. I, I, made, I made sure like all my long hair was tucked in the hat. I was like, I don't want to. I want to make sure I just look like a normal guy with a hat on. <laughs> I've never even thought about that. Sometimes I, I mean, pretty often just because of like where I have to go. But like, I'll put on some makeup before I go outside, and it's normally because I have to like go to some thing where I have to look a certain way. But I never even thought about like. Better dress up for the Barbie movie so I can be in the promotion. Well, material. I didn't know that was a promo. Because uh, as I said, I didn't wear pink or anything. I wore. They were asking anyone who dressed up like Barbie to yell, Can you yell, it's party time? Or Barbie time, Barbie party time, or something like that. I don't know. It better be, it's Barbie time, because uh, party time. Well, is I mean, a dumb that thing that will say. definitely be in you know the video, because it's obviously like at the end, they're going to have everyone scream it, you know, who mm-hmm. did it. But they didn't have us do it. But I don't know if it was just they weren't having the men do it, because I didn't notice any like single men or like groups of men do it. Mm-hmm. But I also. The people who I saw... Well, no, because my friend who did it, who was wearing pink, he wasn't asked to do it. So, mm-hmm. 
But I mean, neither Carson and I were really dressed up for Barbie. So I, I was like, I assume that's why they didn't ask us to do it. Mm-hmm. But what did you do while I was watching Barbie and Oppenheimer? I have just finished all of the first seven Fast and Furious films. The Essentials. And I know that we have some listeners. That Danny tells me we have some people who are very into the Fast and Furious movies. And I recently got into them. And I just finished all of the Paul Walker movies before recording this episode. Because we have a guest on the next episode. So it was better to like drop it now also it's on talking person because we have not talked about these takes yet yeah so now i'm now i get to drop my fast and furious takes and i'm just gonna give my ranked list i think okay that i'll let you give your i'll come off so i don't interrupt (laughs) well it's it's funny because it's just a list of numbers it's not anything to it so it goes um okay okay so for everyone who doesn't know we're talking about fast and furious it's, it's a franchise. It's one of the biggest franchises in the world right now. Well, but I don't know. You either like have never seen anything related to these movies, or you're one of the people that has made it one of the biggest franchises in the world. That was me because I was like, I'm part of this thing. The context for this is that a little while back, someone on Twitter posted a clip from the most recent Fast and the Furious movie. Here we go. Was it that one? No, 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 it wasn't that one. It was the one where they jump off the dam. Oh, yeah. And it was such a cool shot. Everyone on Twitter was like, we have never seen Fast and Furious before. Is this what all of the movies are like? So I decided to watch and find out. And apparently they are actually all that cool. So basically all of these movies are about Paul Walker, the cop, working together with Vin Diesel, who's... Dominic Toretto. Dominic Toretto, who's the leader of this street racing gang. And... They, like, street race, and they meet other people from the criminal underworld, and Paul Walker, who is played, uh, who plays Brian Connor, the cop, is always trying to, like, oh, man, I gotta, like, follow the law, but, like, I love the crew that Dominic Toretto runs, so people are always, like, kind of and working with the thankfully cops. Thankfully, they resolve that by the fourth movie, and then the fifth movie exists kind of as a, a complete paradigm shift of what the movies are about yeah 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 so it goes and it goes from basically being about like like street racing culture and car culture to being about like heist films but they're always like every movie starts with like all right look dom we know that you're doing illegal street racing and then eventually more crimes but like we'll erase the crimes you did in the last movie if you help us with one more job and take down this this super criminal who's all right like okay, drop so your rankings. My rankings. And then we can get into it. Best to worst, one, seven, two, three, five, six, four. Five is way too low. I, I think it's it's pretty crowded at the top, but I think is, five deserves. Five is the best to me. Five is the five one is I've given the up. Best. Five is the only one I've given above a four. Wow. I'd have to open up my actual ranking because I don't remember all the time I have, but I guarantee you, I have. I think I have five. At, five is easily my number one. Five to me is like one of the best. I think five is actually better than Ghost Protocol. I, you can make that conversation. It's, I feel like the same all better than Ghost Protocol, but that's well, just me. You have okay, and also them. sorry to everybody else. The rest of this might be about the Fast and Furious. This is. This is <laughs> we just know we have some people in the audience who are big Fast and Furious fans as well. Yeah, and next this is next episode is my brave. life. Uh, if you want to come back next to that. episode is brave. <laughs> um, but this is what I was doing in my life while also watching these Pixar shorts. So. It is how, they, it's how you can associate some of the Party Stars Rex. Yeah, You're going to always I mean, associate Party Stars Rex with Fast and Furious. I mean, it's not hard because every Fast and Furious has the scene where they like go to the car club and they see the dancing women. Which I think is really funny because in like it's always shot the same no matter who the director is. But yeah, yeah. So the first... 
four, basically the first three movies are standalone featuring characters from the first movie. And actually three features all new characters. They're just standalone movies that have the Fast and Furious title. Five is the one. Four reunites most of the characters. Four's the five, worst one. Five we can agree reunites. on that. We can all agree on that. that four is, you had four at the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we all agree that four is the worst. But five reunites all the characters, and that is the crew Wait, that does Wait, you even these. think Fast and Furious 4 is better than Ghost Protocol? I mean, yeah, because it's a Fast and Furious no. movie. But it's five, five to <laughs> no. me is just like, it's it's the top of the bad ones for me. And I don't even actually think it's bad. It's just there are a lot them. of ones that I prefer more than it. Five has the best ending <laughs> so of cool. all of them. Yes. But I I just think Seven is, is overall a more solid oh. film. I think Seven is a movie that is carried by its last five minutes. I mean, I do think the parachuting car stuff is cool and the Dubai jump is cool. Mm-hmm. But it's really those last five minutes. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, Furious Seven is gets four out of five stars. Yeah, Furious Seven is just... I think especially watching it after six, which I like six's villain. Six is the, my favorite villain of the latter trilogy. Oh, I I did not like. I the love Luke at Evans all. in it. I feel like even though I'm coming at this from the future, I feel like six is like dying to get to Jason Statham. He just seems like such a worse villain than Jason Statham. But Jason Statham, no wait wait wait, wait. because of I told you this off my I was gonna tell you my favorite part of Fury Seven. That's my favorite meme that I use is which is Jaimon Hansu exiting the car for the first time in that movie, revealing him, and it's like this insane, <laughs> like, like... over-layered shot of him exiting the car, like, three or four times. Yeah, and it's, and, like, shuddery, like, slow-mo that they didn't, like, shoot in slow-mo. And, um, I remember when that movie came out, Julius and I saw it, and then for months after, we'd always just quote the only line in that movie that mattered, which is Jaimon Hansu going, in the third act, like, they hired him just to say one word, which was... What? <laughs> what? It is. Oh, man. I just... Ah. Oh. Which is incredible. It's, I love Jaimon Hansu and Furious 7. I don't, I don't know. I mean, really, I guess 7 is so high for me, maybe because of the last five minutes, but I also feel like it just is consistently cooler stuff. Oh, no, no, no. It's because of James Wan altogether. I actually think it's just like a much more well-made film. That's going to be a very... Um, I know of our listeners, uh, a lot of them are going to... A lot, a lot of people I know who are big Fast and Furious fans don't like Seven, or they think Seven is weaker because of Wan's direction. They they will single that out as the issue. Because I, I don't know. Justin Lin gives you more of the clean action without necessarily a lot of stylization, which allows a lot of the bigger things to, like, like the airport chase in Six is, like, you can follow everything that's going on. You know exactly where every character is. The sense of geography is really good. Really? Because that's think... actually my criticism with a lot of Justin Lin's car chases, is that it'll be, like, messed up geography for one reason or another. Do you know what Justin Flint's next project is? I should look it up before I say it, because I don't remember exactly what it is. But it's already causing, like, Oppenheimer-level discourse of people. Not, not, not like, where we're at with Oppenheimer's release, but, like, a month before Oppenheimer, a year before Oppenheimer came out, people were like, no one's making an Oppenheimer movie. What? They should not even touch that. Make No one should make an Oppenheimer movie. Um, is Justin Lin making an Oppenheimer movie? He's making a movie about someone who went to like the forbidden island in India that is only like not allowed to have contact with the outdoor world. Oh, that the Indian, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it seems like that would be a James Wan project because wasn't he like a Christian missionary? No, that's a that's what Justin Lin. Well, Justin Lin, Justin Lin's doing it because, um, he left Furious 10 
Fast X after like a week of shooting because Vin Diesel was getting too annoying for him, which is mm. really incredible to do that after you've done so many of these movies. To be like, yeah. all right, I'm done. I mean, I don't know. That that's kind of my beef. They they get worse. I feel like, and I I kind of feel like it has to do with them becoming bigger stars and they're I still they're just, they're the just best doing things the rocks less. are in though. The what? Rock's role in the Fast and Fast Five is like one of his best roles ever. Well, Specifically in Five. Later on, know. they don't know what to do with him. But in the fifth one, perfect deployment. I I the totally rock. disagree because I feel like The Rock becomes a better character once he becomes like like the guy that's like Paul Walker's probation officer in the first few films. Once he do you not like the the fuck in uh, Fast Five? What. When is there a fucking Fast Five? Um, I, w- I wish I had the exact quote in front of me. Basically, I'm saying it's that... in The Rock's introduction scene, when he's like, if you're not going to help me, get the fuck out of my way, or something like that. Oh, and I didn't like even, well, I didn't even register speech. it like that, but I mean, I guess you're right. But I I think that The Rock becomes a better villain slash friend when he becomes like... When he has that struggle of like, okay, I actually like like these guys, but I work for the government, so I can't be like fully on their side... I don't like that in five he's he just hates them. It's just not as interesting. And I feel like I feel like The Rock has so much charisma. You could say that Fast Five that would have been a great Dave Bautista role. Well, do you know who the role was written for? Who? Tommy Lee Jones. And when they couldn't get it, and The Rock said he was interested, they completely rewrote the role. I mean, it's. I think both of those are correct because it's such a it's such a dark role. You, it would be nice to find someone who can like play around in that darkness. But I think The Rock is a little too charismatic. But the movie is always leading to him teaming up with him at the end too. So it's like you still need to. I mean, I, I know Batista could obviously sell it, but I don't know. I, I think those are the best movies with The Rock, honestly, of the fast movies he's in. I need to go rewatch like footage of him from his wrestling days because I find it so hard to imagine him as like a straight up villain. I'm wondering how he played that, because I mean, I feel like he's he been a big. villain in something, but I don't know what. Yeah, he's a, he, yeah he he can do villain. I'm just not saying, Scorpion King. I'm not thinking about Scorpion King. It's just when you make him like so serious, I just feel like something is lost. Although I do, he does have the great line, which I now remember from the trailers. Speaking of how these Fast and Furious films relate to my life growing up, I remember the line from the trailers where he's like. Blah 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 blah, and no matter what, yes. you cannot let these people get That's into cars. That's an iconic line. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Uh, you know, the thing that I was—it's actually wild that this is the conversation we're having because I was worried coming in about like my rankings of two and three, which I feel like two and three for me could switch third place on any given day, but I do feel like they're some of the better films I mean, altogether. you need to realize, the ones that I revisit are, like, the five, six, and seven. I don't, like, go out of my way to revisit the other ones, because I like... Wow. Although, what's, I actually haven't revisited... What's your ranking? Uh, give me a second to pull it up on Letterboxd, because, again, I last ran for all these movies a long time ago. And then we maybe should start wrapping up some of the time. Yeah, <laughs> we, should, we should get some food. I don't know. I feel like the first the first few movies just seem to really know what they want to be in two hours or 90 minutes, however long these films are. And the last ones are just kind of like, they have so many stinker moments. And I even like wasn't loving 2 when I first watched it, because I think the graphics are weird. But then looking back, I'm like, you know what? This film was like super fun, and it had such a tight All like, right. arc. My most 
Well, you know what? I can just cut this off. Okay, so... Cut, cut the ones that I didn't watch, though. All right, did you watch the TurboTarge... Did you watch either of the short films? I didn't watch the short films. There's a short film that's set before Too Fast, Too Furious. That's titled Too Fast, Too Furious, Turbocharged Prelude, which is a really great title. Mm -hmm. Which also, um, let me look... It has uh, Minka Kelly, who is a semi-known actor... In only in that short film, never popped up again in the Fast and Furious movies. And then there's a short film that's directed by Vin Diesel called Los Bandoleros, which is better than the film it precedes, which is Fast and Furious Four. Uh, my ranking goes, if once Mark's seen is five, seven, six, two, one, three, four. Big gap to four. Whack. I hate four. It's why do why do we both agree on four? I feel it's boring. Here's my deal with the later ones. Is each one of them has some moment that is like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in the series. But then I feel like the humor is so painful, and I feel like there's always one or two chases that I think are very poorly shot, which frustrates me. Like, even in 2, where I don't love the races, I feel like 2 really loves those wacky characters. Yeah. So that kind of saves the frustrating choreography. But, like, uh, it's just, I don't know. There, there are such highs and such lows in the later ones. I'm surprised that you feel so strongly positive about them. Well, to me, they're what I... Well, you also realize, a lot of these movies, you get in on, like, one of the later ones, especially around the tw early 2010s. And so, since Fast and Furious 6 was my first one, I'm always going to be more enjoying that type of the franchise anyway. Mm. Um, what 6 is was a wild one to come in on. It's, it works. Um, what I was going to say, because it has the opening credits where it um, reveals everything that's up to that point in the opening. Another reason I hate 6. 6 is almost like worse than 4 to me because they didn't like come up with a new title sequence. They just revisit. They just It's like a clip show. Anyway, Fur well, the thing that I like about Furious 6 is that the title is Furious 6 on the film itself. Even though it's marketed as Fast and Furious 6. And it will remain that way because they titled the next one actually Furious 7. So it's like, well, we don't want it to be mm -hmm. Furious 6 and Furious 7. But Furious 7 still keeps itself different from Furious 6 if you were just judging off the title of the movies. Because on Furious 7, the 7 is written out as a word on the film itself. Mm -hmm. So. And I will say, I don't, I actually don't think 5 is, maybe I don't think 5 is bad. But I just think the other, the first three films are just actually, I, I enjoy them as films. Seven really got me emotionally, and and I also think the direction is fantastic. I mean, as well, it's it's really flashy, but like that's kind of what I like. I was kind of getting a little bit worn out with Justin Lin. I wanted to say with Seven, Stephen Lin. To, I'm sorry, about, it's Justin Lin. You got it right. Did I? What? It is Justin Lin. I know you who's, don't need to look it up. I know who's who, Stephen Lin. I don't know, but I know Justin Lin is the person who made the okay. Fast. Are you thinking of Stephen Yoon? No, no, no. Go on. I'm sorry. Are you thinking of, I think one of the actors in maybe the first one might be, or Tokyo Drift, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Wow. Wait, I've... wait, wait, whoa, 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 what was that statistic? I gotta read. What? Fast and Furious is the first film ever to feature D-Box motion. <laughs> I guess we have to respect it for that. It okay. invented D-Box. Great. Um, but, oh, it didn't even invent D-Box, it's just the first thing that uh, became a movie thing. Anyway. D-Box is like a 4D Experience. Thing. Yeah. Um, Furious 7 is a messy movie that we forgive it for because the main one of the main actors died during the production. But the ending of Furious 7, I think I'm, I don't know if I said it on this podcast before, but it is 
one of the greatest emotional endings I've ever seen in a movie, where all reality breaks down around the movie and just the actors start giving eulogies to their fallen friend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like also Fast and Furious is one of the few franchises where they could pull that off and it fit also. Yeah. But, like, it is something where, like, you know, the ending where, like, Vin Diesel's like, it doesn't matter where you go, you'll always be my brother. And mm-hmm. then just to see you again play as for Paul appears is like, I'm talking about now, I'm getting emotional. I do. It's really yeah. just a beautiful ending. And that, I do think, you know, maybe this was obvious to anyone who would have been directing that moment, but I think, I think for Fast and Furious, the two cars diverging and one taking an exit on the road is like the perfect visual metaphor and it's just like man i'm i'm just glad that this gets to be here you know yeah. and we we're like experiencing this it's, thing it's, it, it's really it really is like the perfect ending it's been like uh, i think now it's been 8 years since furious 7 and you know we've had so many things where like you know people have tragically died either before the production of a friend like i'm thinking obviously chadwick boseman but like there are other ones too carrie fisher mm-hmm. and i just think about how always like how fast and furious handled it i think carrie fisher is actually a better example than chadwick boseman um you know how carrie fisher's like we have to give her a son on uh, episode nine even though she's already dead and it's like no you didn't you do not need frankenstein old footage that's weird mm-hmm. and whereas fast and furious seven it's like it's pretty clear they had most of the footage they had maybe some background shot like you know shots where they had a stand-in come in for some stuff and use some old archive audio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, that was me. Or I was they, so surprised by how little like CGI there is. In, the the I mean, obvious like moment, the, the most obvious moment that not CGI, but it's like there's a phone call in the third act with Joanna Brewster where it's obvious that Paul Walker's just having a different conversation than yeah. whatever Jordana Brewster's like rewritten dialogue is. Yeah. But then the only time he's really CGI is in, like, that final scene where, like, for most of it, his back is to you. But also, you know, the CGI works because at this point we know he's... Well, also, it's like, we know know he's gone and the movie's outright telling you this isn't, like, he's dead. Like, the the movie's saying it to you. Yeah. Oh, no one's certain words that we know Paul Walker is gone. And it's not like a stunt like all these things are in Star Wars where it's always like, look, we brought them back. Look at it. Yeah. And this is very much like, all right, look, man, he's going to have this. It's going to be a shot reverse shot with Vin Diesel. It'll be short, but we need this kind of to happen for like the movie logic. And it doesn't. But it's not even, I don't don't even think even, I think even about the movie logic, it makes sense. Like as a tribute, if the family is signed off on, it's like, we want to give Paul a send off. We have a CGI model that we're going to use for stunts already, you know, because like get all these actors, you know, like we have CGI doubles. Mm-hmm. too so it's like we have a cgi that we can polish it up and put it here and like it just makes sense to like give you one last look at him where it's like he's a kind of a ghost like mm-hmm. it's it's very emotional because every other time it's like you know like peter cushing pops up or cgi carrie fisher in some scenes mm-hmm. uh, and it's like that feels weird because it doesn't have the context of this i think the context is so important and also of course you know Paul Walker and Vin Diesel were both so involved with, like, these movies, like, in a production capacity, too, mm-hmm. that, like, unlike the other things, it was like, oh, yeah, it's what, uh, it's what they would have wanted. And this, it's like, no, like, I do, like, we do think this is probably, I think yeah. everyone, I don't think Vin Diesel would have done something that Paul wouldn't have wanted. I don't think Paul's family would have signed off on something. Because they also, like, his brothers were the body doubles in the back half of the shoot. Yeah. So it's like, they really did, like, Keep everyone involved all the way up to it. And it was the right ending, too. 
Mm-hmm. Like they, because again, you know, you always hear. I remember always having this discourse around the time of the Last Jedi with people who hate that sequence where Carrie Fisher like becomes Mary Poppins. People are like, they should just killed her off there because mm-hmm. they had a good out for her, and it's like, no, because one, that means he. <laughs> The thing that's so funny about that complaint always to me is, you know, like, then people, people always complain about how those movies, like, don't have a scene of all three and together. You're asking them to remove the scene that has Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill acting across each other, and it's both their finest acting in the sequel trilogy. Mm. And you're like, no, get rid of it, because we want to give Carrie Fisher a death scene. It's like, no, like, that stuff in The Last Jedi is like, you you don't change it to kill him. That, I feel like in always in these movies, it feels weird if you, and of course... Black Panther, they didn't really have a choice, right? Like, mm-hmm. in Black Panther, I think, also takes a different approach of, like, no, we are actually are going to look at what an unexpected illness death would look like. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I also think that, like, maybe this is a spoiler or not, I think that Han Solo's death was actually pretty good. Yeah, like, I would agree. And I mean, and well, that's like, not the, the thing. Thing, like, I'm talking, I'm talking about too. the, like, I'm talking, like, celebrity, like, the actor dies in real life type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just mean, like, we're talking, it's also about, like, writing it in, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know, this... I was I was just really shocked by like how how cool I was with the attitude of seven to yeah. like dealing with that. I don't know, and I think that's why it's so high to me because like part of why these films are so fun is because they are like so juvenile, and that's what I loved about seven is that it was like it seemed very mature. It's still like because it is still juvenile for most of the movie. Yeah, and then at the end it's like we can get our. We might be like a bunch of pranksters, but if we lose one of ours, our own, it's still mm-hmm. we gotta like lo- we loved him, you know. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we should go get some dinner. Yeah. What do we think about these Pixar movies? <laughs> it's your phone background, <laughs> Adam Driver yeah. punching the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll give all these. Uh, we can't give it the Barbenheim tickets, but you know, Grey House closes on Sunday, so Party Source Rex. Time Travel Matter Animator can all just go check it out. Support mm-hmm. some Lori Metcalf or some... Imagine Rex being in the audience for Greyhouse going, Wow, that sounds like Andy's mom! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, You know, I guess I want to give these films... I would give them some more... Like, they, they need to have a sequel where they go to a public pool... And they have even more fun. We, 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 I think I think talking about Fast and Furious made me like have a better memory of the Pixar shorts. We gotta have a we gotta have Mater, like Mater and Rex are gonna go their separate ways while with Khalifa Blaze. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess Charlie Poof is more in that moment, but yeah. One Mater and Mater and Lightning. Mater and uh, Mater and Rex. Said, oh yeah, oh, no, I thought you said Mater and Rex, and I was like, what? Okay, all right. What do we do next time, Danny? Brave. It's a movie. Brave. Well, I mean, we're brave, and we're gonna have a great time. I've never seen Brave, and I feel like it's the thing that I've. I one don't of the like it. I've most <laughs> wanted to check out because I've been interested in like I don't know Scottish magic or whatever. Like that sounds fun. I'm going into this optimistically. Anyway, let's do the credits. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by Mark Young. Our original artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. Follow us on social media at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website, Looking for the Ocean, Pixar.podbean.com. You can follow me on MarkYoungPerformer.com, where as of this recording, I actually have made a separate page for the Whoa. podcast on my website, nice. and I'm pretty happy with it. Nice. You can follow me, Danny Vincent, at Blank Mints on Letterboxd. 
Um, you know, my Barbenheimer, well, you know, no Barbenheimer reviews are up quite yet. And I don't know if it'll be, I don't, because I don't think I'm going to see Oppenheimer by the time this episode comes out again. But I do have initial impressions. They both have hearts on them. I like them, but I do not want to grade them yet. Anyway, you can listen to my other podcast, The Snap Club, where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar nominations and no wins. All right, bye, everybody. Go bye. watch Barbie Oppenheimer. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And Great House if you're in New York. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got so two Gray days. House. You got two days. <laughs>